May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. The feeding of 5,000 is one of the more popular miracles of Jesus. In fact, it is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels besides the resurrection. If we approach this scripture in its most obvious connotation, we'll come to the conclusion that with God there is an abundance of provision, in spite of how much or how little we have. Simply trust in God and God will provide. But there are potentially a number of socioeconomic and sociopolitical undertones also taking place in this pericope. Jesus' beloved cousin, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded by King Herod because John spoke against Herod's unlawful marriage to his brother's wife, which is a stark reminder that it doesn't matter if it's ancient Palestine or postmodern America when we speak out against the moral bankruptcy or corruption of political figures, that can be a very dangerous endeavor. Nevertheless, Jesus has no time to mourn because there are thousands of people who came from a local town to this remote area to see Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly the demographics of this crowd, but we do know that there are 5,000 men, women, and children not included in that number. Some of them are sick, and in, and in the other gospel accounts, the people who have come there have come to hear the teachings of Jesus, at least some of them. Now these observations might be enough to help us draw some conclusions. There is a good chance that these were the poor and working class Jews of that time. We can propose this hypothesis because throughout the Gospels, anytime Jesus taught, if he had any issues, it was usually coming from lawyers or the religious elite trying to prove him wrong, and that doesn't happen in this particular scripture. In addition, Jesus always attracted the downtrodden of society, and he was always championing the poor while rebuking the rich and the greedy. As evening approaches, Jesus tells the disciples that he wants them to feed the massive crowd with five loaves and two fishes. One of the disciples, Philip, goes to Jesus and tells him 200 denarii, which is 200 days worth of wages, would not be able to feed the crowd, just in case Jesus, the Son of God, needed a quick lesson in Economics 101. Nevertheless, the disciples had a worldview that was one of scarcity and caring for thousands of people who were sick and hungry and potentially poor simply didn't make any practical sense. In a patriarchal society, or specifically this patriarchal society, there was a theological outlook which was that man was to have dominion over earth. This is from the book of Genesis. So we have God at the top, then man, then woman, then children, animals, so on and so forth. This idea was shared throughout the age of agriculture and Quite honestly, it makes sense for people to have this worldview back then. It was able to ensure some sort of order and stability in tumultuous times and possibly help them survive through mastering crops, through irrigation and the domestication of animals. Yet their understanding of rada, which is the Hebrew root word for dominion, was very different from that of the colonial view of dominion, which came thousands of years later. 
the chief Oran Lyons of the Iroquois Confederacy pointed out that when colonists first came to America and told Native American leaders that they wanted to buy the land, they laughed at the white man, he said. How can you buy land? It's like buying water or air. You can't buy land. Land belongs to everybody. The philosopher Derek Rasmussen uh, points out that indigenous people believe they belong to the land, whereas non-indigenous people believe the land belongs to them. Indigenous people believe they belong to the land, whereas non-indigenous people believe the land belongs to them. And today we see the outcome of colonialism. According to a study done in the early 2000s by the United States Department of Agriculture, whites account for more than 90% of ownership, the value, and acres of all private agricultural land in America. And what's been done with this land? Well, we have strip malls and malls. We have suburbs and urban sprawl. We have pipelines and landfills of trash and factories that spew out toxic waste. Begging the question, how were we stewards of the land? Besides the land, when we read about the miracles of Jesus, it seems to be a magical time. However, if those people could look at our times, they would think that we were living in magical times. This is the only time in human history where it has allowed us to acquire, acquire almost anything we want simply by touching our screens. We can talk to anybody on the planet as long as they have a smartphone and a reception, and we can even find an app to translate the language in which country they're in. We can order food from restaurants and groceries if we need to do so. We can buy plane tickets on our phone and then have a car pick us up via Uber or Lyft to go to the airport. We can buy virtually anything we want on Amazon as long as we can afford it. Through our phones, we can find love, we can find sex, we can find friends. We can listen to almost any song that was produced, listen to almost any television show or watch any movie, and we can listen to any book or read any book that was published. But the question is, are we any more happier or satisfied from these technological breakthroughs? Our capitalist and consumer culture won't allow us to be happy because it's always asking for more and seeking what's better and newer. In the scriptures, the disciples could not imagine how to feed the 5,000 plus people. And that's because they weren't thinking with God's plans, but rather with their own plans. Let the people go find food on their own. This is what they said. And unfortunately, we're not that much better than the disciples. Let the people go find their own health insurance. Let the immigrants go back to their own land. Let the poor people pull their own self up by the bootstraps. It seems that we're lacking either the compassion or imagination or both to create a better world. Researchers claim that of the 2,000 or so billionaires in the world, they have more wealth combined than 4.6 billion people on this planet. The military spending, the fiscal uh, budget proposal for military spending in the United States for next year is roughly at $989 billion. 
it takes only seven billion dollars to get rid of human uh, hunger or world hunger at least a year and right here in Richmond the city council refused to even consider looking at police funding and isn't that really the same issue but on a local level the issue being that we cannot imagine a society in which the welfare of those who are the most vulnerable in that society is not as important as the security of those who have versus those who have not. I believe it's past due time to have a conversation about the redistribution of wealth. When the federal minimum wage has been $7.25 since 2009, while billionaires make more money than entire countries, then yeah, it's time to have conversations about the redistribution of wealth. Yet before we can have that conversation, we must first address those who have been suffering the most in the United States. How can America ever repay Native Americans for stolen land or African Americans for stolen labor? In short, what price can be paid for genocide? I'm not an economist, so I don't really have the answer to that. But I don't think it's simply a matter of writing a check. I think it's a matter of a change of heart. We have seen in countries like Canada and South Africa them set up truth and reconciliation commissions because they were serious about dealing with issues of colonialization and racism. They understood that healing is not just writing a check, but it's the hard work of talking and listening, caring, and repenting. So we know reparations to African Americans and Native Americans can happen because it's happened in other places. Jesus understood what we're still trying to learn and have failed to learn over and over again, which is true wealth is not in the acclamation of more money. A life lived only to acquire more riches will inevitably lead us to a bottomless pit, which will never be satisfied because we can never get enough. Which is why in the gospels, when Jesus encounters the rich young ruler, who by all accounts is a holy man, he lived a holy life. And Jesus said, this one thing you still lack, sell everything you have and follow me. And with that, the rich young ruler turned away from Jesus and sadly walked away. I should mention that my mother is from the Philippines and my father's from Haiti, so I'm a second generation American. I, I mentioned that to say that if there was ever reparations, I wouldn't see any of it. If, if reparations was to come through Haiti, it would come through France, not from the United States. But yet, I believe that it's important to have these conversations because wealth doesn't start in what we can get for ourselves, rather what we can help give to others, specifically those who have less than us. I believe that this is the true call of Christ for us to find creative ways to share wealth, even if it doesn't directly benefit us monetarily and through that we can feed our soul with something that's beyond bread something that's beyond fish something that's beyond materialism and we can find wealth in more than just money jesus understood what true wealth was 
My prayer is that we will also understand through God's grace what true wealth is.